You're listening to the Douglas Jacoby Podcast. Here we bring you some of the material found on Douglas's website in podcast form. We hope that as you listen, you're challenged to think about faith. Today, Douglas continues his series on leaders. Now looking at lording it over others. For more on this episode, follow the link in the show notes to Douglas's website. Want to win a chance for a free tour of Israel? From March 1st to June 8th, Douglas's new website subscribers have the chance to be entered into a draw for a free tour. There are two ways to win. You can become a new website member or ask a friend to sign up. Then email confirmation of the subscriptions by replying to Douglas's newsletter. There's no limit to the number of entries. Sign up five friends, be entered five times. The winner will be announced in early July. Now here's today's teaching. This is an important podcast. I pray that for anyone who is in leadership or considering serving or is drawn to leadership, to please listen to these thoughts and share them with those you may be able to influence. There is a very rare word in the New Testament. It only appears in a handful of places, and yet it tells us so much about Jesus and what we're called to do and what we're supposed not to do. And this unusual word, katakuriawain, appears in Acts 19. It's the story about the sons of Sceva attempting exorcisms. Let's begin there, shall we? Acts 19, verse 13. Some Jews who went around driving out spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Where's the key word? It's in verse 16. This version, NIV, renders the verb overpowered. The Spirit jumped on them and overpowered them. It's that verb, katikuriawain. It gave them such a beating. It's a humorous passage, really. They ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Overpowered. Now, that's a colorful illustration. Think of a, a mugger a criminal overpowering someone. Think of someone running out naked and bleeding. Hopefully not the members of our churches. Let me explain what I mean. We have to go to another place where this appears. Do you know where this word appears? It's also in Peter's letter, his first one. So I'm in chapter 5. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Here the word appears again, in the negative, not lording it over them. Those who oversee God's churches, 
must have a certain kind of character. They can't be doing it out of mere duty or for the sake of financial security. They must be eager to serve real shepherds with shepherds' hearts. And it says, being examples to the flock, not lording it over those entrusted to them. This is a principle for all leaders. If you think this is a passage that refers only to those who are officially recognized as elders, you'd be wrong. Israel's leaders in the Old Testament are called to the same standard. And in fact, this is the spirit of Christ, to which we're all called. And how much more are leaders called? Because others will imitate their example and likely perpetuate patterns. Well, when Peter uses this language, not lording it over them, what's he referring to? He says that he himself was a witness of Christ's sufferings. Now, this is throughout First Peter. It's one of the major themes of the letter. There seems to be something in the back of Peter's mind. I think it's a time that involved two of the other apostles, James and John. And it was in Mark 10. Jesus had been emphasizing the importance of humility, illustrating that with the example of, a child, of children. The apostles James and John, those brothers, possibly at the instigation of their mother, if you look at the parallel passage in Matthew 20, they come to Jesus asking for reserved seating. In Jesus' glory, they want to sit on his right and his left in his glory. So I'll, I'll pick it up with the verse right before our, our key text. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is why we're forbidden to lord it over others. Because Jesus didn't come to serve. He didn't come to be at the top of some pyramid, to be like Xerxes or Pharaoh or Caesar. Jesus was no Herod. He was the humble Messiah, the Lamb of God. He says that in the pagan world, yes, this is expected. Those regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. They revel in their position and their perks, their privileges. Positions, perks, privileges. Isn't that the way our world is? But in the church, this is forbidden. Church didn't do so well with this in the Middle Ages. Think of the obscene Amounts of wealth, property, prestige, control that church leaders usurped to themselves. This is expected in the Gentile world, but Jesus says, not so among you. That we need to be like him, a servant. Do we get that? I remember 
a certain leader. I will not name him. This was in the old days. What does the old days mean? Uh, maybe 20 years ago. In fact, I would say one of the worst leaders I ever knew who wanted everyone in his church to call him the general. He loved that executive leadership style to tell people what to do. He loved it. He even wanted the title. I mean, Jesus said, we don't go around being called father or teacher or even rabbi. Here's someone who wanted to be called the general. Amazing. The expectations that come with such a culture, a culture of privileges and perks and getting priority at all times. Does this word appear anywhere else in the Bible? Certainly there's an application. Well, maybe not in your Bible, but in the Old Testament, the Greek translation, which is called the Septuagint, the one that most Jews used in the first century, and it's also the verse that that the church used for a long time. This word appears in Genesis 1.28. Remember where God said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, or have dominion over it? That's the idea. Having dominion or subduing or perhaps dominating. So that word does appear in the Old Testament, but we're not to do that. The New Testament, it's only in Mark 10, and then Peter has this reminiscence in 1 Peter 5, and we have this verbal illustration uh, from that, that wild scene in Acts 19. Those are really the, the places you find it. Well, what does this mean? I'll tell you a few things it means. If we're leaders, we mustn't be bullies, lording it over others, pushing them around. That's forbidden. If you're a leader, how are you at welcoming input? It's one thing to say, I appreciate input. But if someone gives it to you, does that fellow put himself in the doghouse? Do you hold it against him or do you truly welcome it? Or you just want to be thought to be humble? Is there freedom of thought? We're willing to have people who think differently. Can they breathe? Is there that kind of freedom? We need to take care not to intimidate others. You'd say, yeah, well, someone came to me and said, I wanted to talk to you, but you're kind of intimidated, and I didn't. You know, I was kind of nervous. Many people will feel that, even if you're a humble person. But most of us aren't so humble as to say, there's nothing in me that would intimidate others. We have to go the extra mile to seek input. And when people say they don't have anything to say, oh, come on, I know you do. Tell me. Are you saying I was perfect? Of course not. Let me know. We've got to go the extra mile. Beware of intimidating language. Sometimes, you know, I attend a lot of leadership workshops. I lead a good number too. But I'll hear language like, we need more forceful men. Never mind the translation problems of Matthew 11, because that's that's the violent men. We don't really need violent men. We need a kick-down-the-door leader. Really, you need someone who would kick in someone's door like a SWAT team member? That's what we want on our university campuses? I think we have to be very careful what we call ourselves. Let's not be overconfident. Let's not command respect by position. Lately, I've been studying the book Revelation. In chapter 3, verse 2, we read of those who have a reputation for being alive, but they're dead. It's easy as the church gets larger 
and older, more mature, quote unquote, easier to to really uh, just ride our own reputation. Maybe people respect us because of what we did 10 years ago or 30 years ago. In a growing church, this is especially challenging. And I noticed this when we planted the church in London. In the early days in London, the church was small. Everyone knew everybody, no problem. But by the, by the time we were around five or 600 members, I guess the, the attendance then was in the, in the thousands, maybe 1,500 or so. But I remember it was kind of strange. There were a number of members at that size, five, 600. You, you can't know everybody. People would meet me, but they were so deferential, so respectful. Oh, you're Douglas. Oh, and I realized they don't, they don't know who I am. I could be doing lousy spiritually, and they're going to give me all kinds of respect and credit. This is what I observed. I think things change at a certain point. The bigger the church, the more this is a danger that leaders, particularly those who've been around or have established themselves, have done great things in the past— the easier it is for them to command respect by position. And if you just say something or suggest it, people will obey. That's not what we want. That's not what we want. You can't say, well, I didn't intend them to feel that way. They just do. And that's why the smaller groups are so important. We don't need executives. But so many, if not the majority of Bible-focused churches today, are modeled on the executive leadership model. Call it the senior pastor model. Call it the CEO structure. We have these hierarchies. Here's another application here. Hierarchies are dangerous. I see this worldwide. Somebody in one city is giving direction to someone in another city. That fellow is discipling someone in a third city. And so when he's looking for advice... And he asked his friend for advice. He speaks to his mentor who speaks to his leader. And you get advice going down four, three, four, five, six levels sometimes. There's misunderstanding. A guy could just be batting around an idea. The guy at the top of the pyramid may not have a strong opinion. But by the time his thoughts are represented to the fellow at the bottom of the pyramid, it comes out like a decree, like an executive order from the White House. And there's also the danger of misunderstanding. This is why we have to train people in interpreting Scripture to understand biblical principles, not just tell them what to do, the practicals, but more important, give them the principles. Hierarchies are dangerous. And maybe that's why in the church you don't see hierarchy. I mean, you you see people who will give assistance. They're outsiders. Uh, They're not in the local congregation, but they travel around and give give some uh, uh, direction. But those who have the Influence those who have leadership in a local church are the local shepherds. And that is a tremendous safeguard against abuse. The more the hierarchy, the more abuse. That's just the way it is. I'm not surprised. You shouldn't be surprised either. And maybe that's another reason Jesus forbids us to lord it over others, to be generals and executives and presidents and so forth. Well, why am I sharing all this? It's not because I've been a perfect leader. I look back at some things I've done in the past with shame. In fact, just last night, I've been trying to track down one of my old roommates. When I was a young Christian, I think I probably drove him away from Christ by being so pushy with him. Not just 
trying to have all these talks with him when he was tired, but I would write scriptures on computer cards and stick them on the door. So every day when he went out, he'd see my scripture of the day. And I was, I wouldn't talk to him anymore. I would just put up these scriptures. I I know it was disrespectful. It was pushy. I didn't give him any time, uh, any breathing room. And I've been trying to track him down. And I just found out yesterday Oh, he lives very close to me, probably just a couple minutes drive. And I'm really hoping he'll say yes to my overture. I mean, I've said, please, can we get together? Because I know the way I was with him wasn't caused by Christ. I've misrepresented Jesus. It was this In this case, it wasn't even caused by being a leader. This was me before that time. Well, you take someone who's naturally confident or pushy, and then you give him leadership, You give him a a platform, obviously, the possibility of abuse is multiplied. We have to be so careful with that, my friends. Let's not bully. Let's welcome input, inculcate freedom of thought, responsibility. Let people make their decisions and their groups. Don't intimidate them. Careful what you say, even how you describe things. Don't break confidences. Be humble. Don't command respect by position. Watch out. Hierarchies are dangerous. We should know that. And so let me close with a charge. While we should not be uninvolved, we should not be so involved as leaders that we're managing people, micromanaging or lording it over others. Let people develop. Avoid those extremes. Let's encourage people towards biblical principles, not telling them what practicals they need to follow making suggestions, but teaching principles. Let us emphasize apostolic teaching. If we do that, we will certainly be teaching very differently from our world. And last, let's be vigilant. If we're not careful, then those entrusted with leadership can easily default to the lording it over mode. I know you don't want to do that. I know I don't want to do that. But Jesus was quite clear. You know that those who regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Let's not exercise authority. Let's not lord it over anyone. Let's have the heart of Jesus Christ. Hope this has been helpful to you. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed Douglas's teaching on leaders. For additional notes and resources, be sure to check out Douglas's website in the show notes. The website has hundreds of articles, podcasts, and videos for you to access for free. You can also become a premium subscriber and gain access to thousands of online resources from Douglas's teaching ministry. Thanks again for listening.